All right, church. You'll find your way back. We've got a lot to look at this morning. Hey, if you're working your way back and you don't have a Bible, we have a few on the stands, these mirrored tables over here, that uh, somehow have survived four years of trailer movement, these mirrored tables. That's the Lord's miracle in itself, which means they're sure to be broken by next week. Hey, men, uh, as you're waking, making your way back, can I just uh, talk to the men for just a second? Um, men, uh, let me ask you a question real quick. Uh, just put it in your head, like, when did you become a Christian, uh, men? Just like, you might have a date or ex- uh, time in your life where you became a Christian, maybe newer years ago. Uh, let me ask you just a couple questions, men. Um, I want to ask you, first of all, like, would you see yourself, like, are you a spiritual giant? Like, men, answer that question in your head. I'm like, you're a spiritual giant. Um, all right, uh, another question. Like, do you see yourself as like, um, like you know the Bible well? You've got just a really good grasp on God's Word. Um, and final question for you, uh, man. I'll ask you two more questions. Um, like, are you spiritually driving your home? Like, would you say, yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm really driving the spiritual atmosphere in my home. This men, an- answer this question in your head, men. Um, uh, if you're like me, I, like, I, I know you're probably struggling with those t- to answer positively on those guys because we all fall on that. Let me ask you the last question, man. Um, why not? Like, why isn't that happening? Um, it, it's one of those things, men, that it's hard for us sometimes as men to stand up and say, I'm going to make my spiritual growth so significant for myself that I can spill it right over to my family as well. Um, and so, men, I want to say that to you as a way to challenge you. We're back on with our, our Wednesday night men's group this Wednesday night. It's not the all-in-all all to your spiritual growth. We recognize that. Um, but it's a significant—what am I trying to say? Significant opportunity for you as men to come together and to be challenged one another to grow in your spiritual walk. And so this Wednesday, 7 o'clock, it's at John's house. Um, it would be just, just an awesome time for that. So good enough, men? Good enough. All right. Excellent. Hey, um, let's jump into this. John chapter 1 is what we're looking at, and we're going to walk through this chapter. Now, last week, let me just give you a little bit of review, and then we're going to jump in. John chapter 1. How are you doing on your Bibles, by the way? I see a few of them opening some laps out there. Great. Three Bibles went up. Awesome. Let's, oh, look at that. Immediately, you're like, okay. You're, you're like, the, you know, like the kid who has to come over and get dad's attention as well. Um, yeah. So, You did very good, very good. Um, Bring your Bible. Um, There's just something about interacting with God's Word uh, when we walk through this that's that's, uh, unique and and powerful and and good. So um, (coughs) we're going to look at it, and specifically we're going to hit verse 14 of chapter 1. I got two text messages this week of you that said you had kind of jumped in and read through chapter 1 all the way through and looked at some things. So that's, that's awesome. This week we're going to talk about this verse. Next week we're going to hit the second half of chapter 1, and then we're on to chapter 2. And we're just progressively walking through this book with the purpose being we want to know who Jesus is. And if you missed last week's, you need to go back online and listen to it because the whole focus of what we're doing in this series was kind of lined out by the first four verses of John chapter 1. So take a look at that uh, on your own at our website, uh, windoverhills.org. It'll be easy enough uh, for you. would be great. 
All right, let's take a look at this. A little review. Last week we talked about this word logos. At the very beginning, when John introduces Jesus, he doesn't introduce Jesus with his name. He introduces Jesus by calling him the word, or in Greek, the logos. And what we said was, that is really the essence, the coherency of life is what that word meant. And that's what the people would have understood. So when John is introducing his, his gospel here, and he's introducing this character of the word, right away he's trying to draw your interest and your intrigue by saying, let me tell you about the coherency of life, the itness of life. Let me tell you about it. He calls it logos. He calls it the word. So it's very clear he's talking about someone here. That's how he chooses to jump into it. Now, what John is wanting to do, and you're going to see this, this continuation. Oh, I appreciate that. So, I battle about three days of sickness, so I'm through part of it. But if I keel over, my, my notes are right here. Just first person up. Just keep going on it and, and get through and Just shove me out of the way and, and keep going. So, that's what John is doing here. You're going to find out this week he continues this. We're not going to get Jesus' name yet, but he's going to continue talking about Jesus uh, this week, and specifically this Logos uh, as well. So uh, we find in, in uh, chapter 5, or verse 5 and 6, really, uh, in verse 5, he introduces light. We talked about that last week, and we drew this connection all the way from the Old Testament, and that the people were living in a time of darkness. Light was promised, and then we went 400 years. Now John is declaring that that light has come. So he's drawing that connection with people that would have known the Old Testament. Very intriguing. He's drawing his audience in. Verse 5, he introduces that. Verse 6, he actually introduces the character of John the Baptist. Not John who wrote this, but John the Baptist here. He introduces him. Many people confused. They thought John the Baptist was the Messiah. John the Baptist says, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. The Messiah is coming after me. In fact, I'm not even worthy to tie that guy's shoes, is what John says. He's coming later. But John introduces Jesus as well. We find in verse 6 through 9, he calls him the light as well, John the Baptist. uses the word five times to describe Jesus. So that's a very significant theme that the darkness that we've been in, Isaiah talked about it in the Old Testament, the light will come, Isaiah declares it, and now it has come is what John is saying at the beginning of his verse here. Well, how? How is the light coming? How is this really happening? Flip ahead now to uh, verse 14, and let's take a little look. I'm going to read to you this beginning part, and then we'll we'll take a look. It says this. So the word, logos, that's who he's describing Jesus as, this coherency, this itness of life. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So let's just pause right there and take a, a little look at this. Because last week what we talked about was that this Logos actually was God. Let, I mean, John declares at the very beginning, he wants his audience to know, I'm not just talking about some prophet that has come now to talk about God. I'm saying God came in human form, this Logos, and Jesus, who he's going to call Jesus in a little bit here, this person is actually God. And so he's tying this connection 
with this person, this logos, this, this word he's talking about. Now this week, in verse 14, John says, the word became flesh. Like, this itness of life actually became flesh. It became human. You see, this, this word uh, that, that is translated in your Bible as human is actually the word flesh in Greek. Um, S-A-R-K, or S-A-R-X is the word, and it means flesh. So when we say we are of the flesh, we mean we are human. Now, Paul will take this phrase flesh, and he'll actually tie it to, like, worldliness or sinfulness as well when he talks about flesh or fleshly living. (coughs) But here, what we find is this word actually means human, that he became human. Now, you got to understand something here that in Greek culture, which even though a lot of Jewish people are reading this and a lot of Jewish Christians are reading this, Greek culture had dominated society. We call it Hellenization, if you remember from your history classes. It had dominated the culture. So there was Greek influence in and through everything. So this understanding of human being human and divine being divine, and there was a gap and no connection uh, in there. I mean, that was understood. Humans here, divine here. There's no connection, right? Like, humans don't have any divineness, no divinity, and certainly uh, divine beings have no humanness at all. In fact, that's why some of the, the Greek mythology is so intriguing when there's actually a character or two that starts to bridge that gap. And that's why the stories of those characters are so popular. In fact, they, for some reason, they even linger today to be popular. So here is John is declaring in a Greek culture, which this is their understanding, he is saying, guess what? This became that. Uh, this came down and became that. This, this divine, who's fully divine, we talked about that last week, came down and became this human as well. That would make no sense in their culture at all. No sense at all. So he gets their attention right away. This word becomes human. This word becomes flesh. Now you got to remember, John is trying to draw his audience in before he tells them about Jesus. And so he says it this way. Then he says this, uh, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. So just kind of hold that and we'll come back. And we have seen his, oh, excuse me, I skipped over a verse, and made his home among us. Made his home among us. Do you know what that, that interesting thing here is? John, even though he's talking to people who this Greek word would be of understanding, he knows he also has this Jewish audience that knows the Old Testament. And he uses a word here that's very interesting. He made his home among us. Have you ever been camping? Like you've gone out camping? I don't mean like you took your RV out you know, or like, you know, your motor home, or you slept in the back of your minivan. But I mean, like, you got out of the car, and what did you have to do when you went camping? You had to pull out that bag that you probably had not looked at or opened since the last time you went camping three years ago, and you opened that up, and you had to pitch your tent. You understand? Like, we all have a story about pitching our tent, and the horror of pit. Now, I've been amazed in my life many times, where I'm just like, my mind's just blown, and when we went into Walmart, oh, some 15 years ago in our marriage or so, I can't remember how long ago, and we saw a tent where all the poles were woven into the tent, and you just pulled on the top like this, and everything went, you know, 
kind of like cartoon style, like I, I was just mind blown because now I could pitch my tent very, very easy. Pitch your tent. Well, guess what? In this passage right here, when he says that he made his home among us, do you know what he's actually saying there? I mean, the actual Greek understanding, it's a translated Hebrew word, is actually this word skeno, and it means to pitch a tent. I mean, like God is saying that when Jesus, the Logos, came to earth and pitched his tent on earth. He came to live here, to pitch his tent. Friday afternoon, you put your tent up, right? Then you sit back and you go, wow, all right, let's relax now. I'm here. I'm camping. I'm here all week, or I'm here this weekend, or I'm at least here till it rains, right? I mean, that's, you're just hanging out. Jesus pitched his tent right here, as if to say, this is my dwelling, For now, this is where I'm going to be right here. Now, that wouldn't be so incredibly amazing, but if we look down, we actually find it says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father, his one and only Son. Here's the interesting uh, part of this, is this word, skeno, it meant something else. You would have understood it as the Hebrew word that's translated to mean tabernacle. The tabernacle of the Old Testament. So, very interesting that John is using, he's describing Jesus. He is coming and pitching his tent, being right here on his earth, using the very word, the very word that they would have understood that God pitched his tent, as in God dwelled in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. This little connection piece, this little nugget that you throw. We like to say things like when we go see a movie or we hear something like, hey, they threw a little Easter egg in there. You know, you know what they mean? Now, I was years behind what Easter egg meant, but it means there was some little item or little word said, or there was a little something you saw that tied into something else, this little Easter egg, as they call it. Um, and that's what John is embedding in here already, <clears throat> is this connection, as if to say, this Jesus who came, he's come to our earth. He's God coming to dwell among us, just as God came and dwelled among us in the form of the tabernacle. Let's take a look at it real quick. If, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip. It'll be on the screen. If you're a good quick flipper, you can look. Uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. We find this, God talking, Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. Uh, the interesting thing in this passage, if you look, you might have notes at the bottom. If you look, that, that I there, that I may live among them, the meaning there is that my glory may be among them. That, that God is saying, build a tabernacle, build, pitch a tent. He's going to give them all these, these uh, different measurements and how they need to put it together. Build this tent, and I'm going to dwell with my people, right there with my people. But he says that their understanding of that would have been, my glory will dwell that my glory will dwell. And so look ahead. What does John say now? That Jesus coming, and what will we see in Jesus? We see God's glory. We've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. You can see how John is bridging this connection to say, Jesus, the same thing you understand in God, the same glory that your ancestors saw in the tabernacle, you are seeing that in the person of Jesus Christ. Now that's kind of theology, we would call it, is what John is teaching us. He's teaching us about the relationship between Jesus and God, and now the relationship between Jesus and humanity as well, as he's talking there. He's saying that this is 100% God, 
coming to earth now and being 100% human, but it's the glory of God that we are able to see in this human form. That's pretty amazing. Sometimes we get so nonchalant with the name of Jesus, you know, like we say, hey, Jesus is my best bud. You know, he's my dude. We hang out. You know, we just say little nonchalant phrases like that. What we're really talking about and what John is declaring right away, this is the glory of God in human form. That's who Christ is. Not another person preaching, not a prophet, not like John the Baptist was doing. This is indeed the glory of God in human form. And remember what I told you, John's number one goal is not so that you have a good chronology of Jesus's life. He doesn't even want to tell you everything Jesus has done because we're going to find he leaves a lot out that the other gospels put in. He wants you to know that Jesus is the son of God. That is his main goal. And so you can see how he's building that in already to talk about the glory of God. So uh, let's, let's look a, a little further in this, um, because what we would really be correct in saying here that, that Jesus, like he is the presence, he is the glory of God, like that literally God came to pitch his tent on earth in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what we learn here and what John is declaring. So can you understand now why John would say something like this right in the middle of those verses of coming to earth and we're seeing his glory. Right in the middle, he says he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I mean, do you understand now that God is saying, look, I am so passionate about you, my creation, that what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave my heavenly dwelling um, and I'm going to come and I'm going to be on earth in this human form, pretty vulnerable form, because I love you that much. In fact, I'm willing to pursue you that much as my creation to have a relationship with you, to be connected with you. That's what God is saying there, uh, that I'm willing to that degree, full of his love and faithfulness. That's what drives him. For many of us, we grew up or our understanding of God had more to do with God's wrath or God's anger um, or God's abandonment, maybe. But that's not the message of Scripture. That's not what John is declaring. What John is declaring in this passage here, what we talked about last week up till now, is that because of his love and his, unfair, his faithfulness to us, because of that, he was driven to have some way to connect with us, to be near us. And here was his way. He sent his son, his logos, 100% God. He put him in human form. He pitched his tent among us to be with us here on this earth. Can I just tell you guys, God is pursuing you the same. I mean, that, that is what he's saying. That's what we learn in Scripture. You might say, well, <laughs> Tom, make him stop. <laughs> I'm not I like that. I, I can't. That's what his love does for us. His love cares for us so much. He has so much desire to bring us what he has to offer that he pursues us in this way. I want to encourage you this morning, and we'll talk about one more thing, that like everything you see, like everything you interact with, to see it as God pursuing you, as God wanting to draw you near and draw you close to show you more about his love and his faithfulness to you. Everything. Like, if you happen to end up sitting with somebody and, 
over the course of the conversation, they start sharing what God has done in their life and how God has brought maybe healing or God has, has renewed their spirit or whatever. And guess what? God is pursuing you right there. I mean, he's pursuing you. Like if you went somewhere, and some of you can share this testimony, like you ended up somewhere, um, it's your hobby or your sports league or, you know, whatever, and like some way, somehow, like you were the one that got stuck next to somebody, and over the course of the conversation, you knew, man, this guy's a churchgoer, you know, and you had no interest in that whatsoever, but some way, somehow, over the course of the days or weeks, you were just drawn to the conversation, you were drawn to what they were sharing. Guess what? It's God. He's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. We like to think that God is just pursuing us by causing bad things to happen to us. Like, you know, something wrong happened. We get in a wreck or, you know, we wake up and we can't, you know, move our foot or something. We're just like, well, God must be telling me something. I, maybe, I guess, there's some precedent in God's word. But I think more often than not, God puts these relationships in our life where if we spent time understanding what that person has to share with us, we would see how God is pursuing us always, always pursuing us. Well, there's a, a problem that, that comes with this. Um, and uh, um, really, it, before I get to that problem, let me just say there, there's a little more uh, to this that, that's kind of interesting. Because like when God actually catches us, like when we reach the point where we say, you know, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I'm ready to say, you know, Jesus, you be the Lord of my life. Let your spirit come inside of me, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my days from now on. I'm going to let you transform me. Uh, I'm going to let you do something amazing in me. I, I'm going to let you, like, you know, skino uh, in me. You know, you can pitch your tent, right, you know, in me. And I'm going to let you dwell there. Um, uh, there's something more that, that's pretty neat that happens. Uh, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Now, there's two verses in the New Testament that talk about, like, you being the, you being the casing of God, or you being, as we'll find here, the temple of God. Because what we find is that the tabernacle gave way to the temple. Uh, David was told about this temple, and he started to collect everything they would need for the temple, and then Solomon actually built the temple. It was like this permanent tabernacle, for God to dwell in Jerusalem. And so the word tabernacle got replaced by the word temple. And the word temple came to be known uh, by the Hebrews as the space where God resides. So a very similar to the tabernacle was the understanding. And so here, Paul picks up on this. This theme that the dwelling of God in the tabernacle, then it became the temple. Then John talking about that Jesus is the place where God dwells and God's glory is known in Jesus. And then Paul takes it even further now, and he says this in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Now, there's two different passages. One of these is clearly corporate. It's found just a, a couple chapters before this. And then here's one where he's saying, don't, don't you understand that you are the temple? You're the temple of God. Uh, think about this progression that he's saying, look, the place where God dwells in this tent, this man-made tent in the desert known as the tabernacle. Later, it was, became a permanent fixture of the temple. And then John's saying, look, the place where God dwells is in Jesus Christ when Jesus came to this earth. We know later Jesus gives a little verse where he says in John chapter 17, um, you know what, I'm going away and I'm going to leave 
you with somebody, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And now here's Paul on the other side declaring, you know what? That Spirit's in, in you, so therefore, guess what? Now you're the temple. You're the place where God dwells. Like, that's, that's you. That's you and I. I mean, that's pretty amazing that God says, look, I want to pursue you so much. that I mean, I actually want to give you my spirit that you would be the casing and you would be where my spirit dwells. Now, you can go out and you can walk a hillside, right? And you can see a beautiful sunset, a Grand Canyon. If you've ever been there, I've seen it a couple times. It's pretty amazing. And you can be wowed and think, wow, man, it just makes me feel close to God by looking at that. And I think you'd be right in saying that. That's fine. But you know, you're, you are the temple that God dwells in. The Holy Spirit does not like dwell in that nature, but he dwells in us. When we let God pursue us, catch us, surrender to him, and we become that. But there's a problem here. This is the problem. If we're not careful, God says, look, I'm going to pitch my tent in you. Like, I'm going to transform your life. I'm going to make you into what I designed you to be. I'm going to give you more life than you've ever dreamed, is what later on John is going to say in chapter 10 of this book we've been studying. And some of you are like, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'll just, I'll just kind of hold where I'm at. Listen, church, if God were to pursue us like he did, if God were to love us so passionately that he would send his son, that we put himself in human form, I mean, if, if he would pursue us that way, I mean, we haven't even talked about the cross yet where Jesus would go. If he would love us to that degree and pursue us, and there would be a moment in our life where we would say, I'm surrendered to that. That is the life I need. I'm surrendered to Jesus Christ. I want to live that way. Why in the world would we ever want to become the same person we are? Why would I want to stay just who I am and not let God transform and change me. If I had the opportunity to be like the casing where God would dwell in me, why would I be stubborn enough to say, I don't want my life to change at all? Reminds me of a passage, you may know it. It's found in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 9, verse 17. It goes like this. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin, for the old skins would burst from the pressure Spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine is stored in new wineskins, though that both are preserved. Now, um, I'm going to be the first to say, I don't know a lot about wine, um, though I've learned a bit from uh, women's Facebook posts uh, online. So so I know a little bit more. Uh, And some of you men as well. uh, Men, we we don't post on wine. Men, we don't post on carpool lines. No emojis. And uh, no single picture that says the word mood on it as well for men. That's just, that's just what we do. But this passage speaks about these new wineskins. And, you know, this has been a, a confusing passage, this confusing parable. But Jesus is basically teaching and saying here, like, like, why would you put something brand new into an old casing, an old uh, pocket? You see, an old wineskin would have been stretched out completely. And so you put new wine in it, and it would run the risk of bursting here. Why would you put something brand new into something old like that? You see, here, when Jesus comes, 
when, when Jesus wants to like dwell in us or when we say yes to him being our Lord and Savior and we have what the Bible says, the Holy Spirit lives in us, but at times we refuse and we say, I, I, I mean, I'm all for it, but I want to live the old casing still. I want the old life still, but I want to say that the Holy Spirit is in me. It's like he, he comes into our life, right? Um, the Spirit comes to us, and yet we, we've got the same anger. We've got the same vices, the same addictions, the same attitudes, the same selfishness. And we disguise it by saying phrases like, well, I'm only human. I'm just human, right? And God's like, no. Like, I came to dwell in you. And if I'm going to dwell in you, that that will transform the totalness of you, the, the fullness of you. Now, it's a progressive thing, but I want to come and transform you. So don't live with the old casing. Don't live in that old way, but let me, let me dwell in you and make you new entirely. That's what John is getting at in the very beginning. When he talks about in John chapter 1 that Jesus has come, this is something just totally different. And he's trying to introduce that to Jesus right away here. Hey, if, if that describes you this morning, if you would be like, yeah, I, I think that describes me more, that I'm trying to hang on to the, the old life, the old wineskin, that, that old casing in my life, whereas I claim that Jesus is in me, the Holy Spirit is in me, but I still try to hang on to that old life. You know what, really this morning is, you need to be discipled. You need to let God build into you weekly, daily. Let him build into you. Let his word build into you as well. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks in this book of John is how do you be discipled? How do you let the Holy Spirit take over you and lead your whole life? And we'll talk more about that. Hey, next week as we continue in this uh, part of John here, uh, we're going to get to a, a couple interesting uh, passages here where, where, um, where, where Jesus talks about being—he uh, starts to describe himself in different metaphors. And the first one that we find is that he talks about being the Lamb of God, and we'll continue on. So here's what I want to encourage you this week, that you would go ahead and just like, read through chat to verse 51. Just read all the way through and continue on. Uh, this morning, or uh, this week in that, uh, as we continue this series. Well, let me bow and uh, pray for you uh, this morning. Father, I, I just uh, thank you for, for who you are, Lord, that, that, Lord, that there's this progression of you coming and wanting to dwell among your people, and you did it in a tent form, in a temple form. You did it in the person of Jesus Christ, 100% you in human form, and now you're, you're offering to us to say, I want to be that in you. I want to dwell in you. I want to commune with you and pitch my tent right there. And so, Father, this morning, uh, Lord, I just pray if there'd be anyone who this morning would say, you know, I, I've got my testimony experience. I got my time where I said yes to Jesus, um, but I've kind of been refusing his dwelling in me. I've kind of been refusing allowing him, his glory to shine out through me, to change me, to make me different to renew me or to send me out to do the work of his kingdom. I've just kind of refused that up till now. This would be the morning you would just say, I need to be discipled. I need to be transformed. 
And for many of us, sometimes we think that just means I'm just going to sit back on the couch and sit and just wait for some type of Holy Spirit to just rain down and flush on me. Um, And God this morning is calling you to get up, come to him. Get up and open his word and start reading and learning about him. Get up and, and get on your knees and pray and say, Lord, renew me, transform me. To seek out, like, who is that wise Christian in your life that you could go talk to and just say, let, let me take you out for a soda and just ask you a few questions about Jesus. But you need to be discipled and grow and learn more about what God has to offer your life. And you may be sitting here, and because you've been a Christian for 15 or 20 years, you think, ah, I'm a little embarrassed to do that at this point. It would be far more embarrassing before our Heavenly Father to refuse growing and learning more about Him and what He has to offer you. To encourage you. Step forward. See what He has to offer you, what He's challenging you today. We pray it in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just highlight a couple things Pastor Anson shared with you about uh, the building and some of the stuff that was going on, and, and that's uh, and that's pretty exciting uh, stuff that's happening. So if you.